Ladies and gentlemen, rev up your engines and get ready for the deal of a lifetime. Jim K. Ford is proud to announce the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale, the event you've been waiting for. For a limited time only, Jim K. Ford is offering unbeatable discounts, jaw-dropping financing options, and mind-blowing trade-in deals. Don't miss out on the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale at Jim K. Ford, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans, or jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. Lots to get to today. The Sens have now lost three games in a row. Man, these five-game road trips are just kryptonite for this team. Not that the Sens have been playing like Superman to have kryptonite. Anyway, they haven't been playing particularly well once again. They fall uh, as we record this here on a Sunday They fell on Saturday to the Edmonton Oilers for their third straight loss. Lots to get to today, though. We'll get into um, some things like Darren Drager's report. Is Steve Steos really getting hot and heavy in the trade discussions of the stage? Uh, We'll talk about Parker Kelly's renaissance under Jacques Martin. We'll talk about Shane Pinto's return to the lineup and uh, a whole lot more here on the program today. Again, it is Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are you, Greg? Very good, Stephen. It's a lovely Sunday morning in the Capitol. Everything's good. Your Green Bay Packers uh, got some pressure on today, but I'm sure you have confidence in them. That's at least one person of the two of us. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't believe they're in a win-and-you're-in situation here in the final week of the NFL regular season. They have a 500 record, and all I have to do is beat the Chicago Bears, a team that Aaron Rodgers always used to say, I own you. I own you. He'd yell at the stands when they're at Soldier Field. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe they're even in this position. For the right if they beat uh, the Bears today for the right to get worked over by the Cowboys or something in the first round. They're just not there yet, but it's kind of fun that they they at least are uh, maybe in the discussion, so I'm looking forward to that later. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's talk Sens, though. Um, Although, you know, probably some Sens fans right now would rather we talk about the Green Bay Packers because uh, things have not gone very well since the last time we got together. Sens uh, fall in Edmonton. I thought overall, compared to how they've been going, that was, to me, kind of a, a decent performance, I thought, all in all. It's a road game. You're playing one of the hottest teams in the league. They've won six in a row. They are now, I think, 17-6 and six since the coaching change. So that's a, a good team that's playing really, really well right now. And I didn't think the Sens, uh, compared to some losses, where you're going, oh, my God, that's a, I didn't think the Sens were that bad in that performance. Isn't it kind of sad that that that's what we have to talk about. You know what? Man. The Sens weren't that bad in their latest <laughs> loss. You know, the, the game had a lot of the same tenants that we see, uh, that we've seen all season, last season. The the one bad goal that you just seem to know is going to happen. The one potential huge turning point where they either don't score in the power play or don't kill that one penalty. There's, it seems every game there's, there's, oh, here's a big moment now. They've got to step up and they don't. Um, you also had the, well, you didn't have the score in bunches. You didn't have the give up goals in bunches. So that was nice. I guess that's one thing that's better. Um, you can see that they're getting better. I mean, you, you held Edmonton to basically two goals. I mean, I'm, 
I'm not really worried about the third one in that instance. Basically, in a 60-minute game, you only gave up two goals to a high-powered team. So I guess that's a positive. But, you know, it was it was if they'd had maybe seven or eight more shots on net, we'd be sitting here going with the DJ Smith. You know, you play that well on most nights, you'll probably win. And that's I think that's the big overall picture. The sad thing about it is we're looking for nuggets. We're looking for something. The bottom line is they lost again. It's their third in a row after they won two or three in a row. You know, it's just this up, down, up, down. It's It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Well, they're in a situation where they were hoping for a new coach bump like any team does when they make a coaching change. You got Chris Knobloch in Edmonton, as I mentioned, since that coaching change. The Oilers are 17 and six. The Sens, on the other hand, they're two games under 500. You talked when the coaching change in Ottawa went down that this thing might take 10 to 15 games before we see anything noticeably better in terms of uh, the details that Jacques Martin is so famous for. Uh, but it sure is difficult to live through the process. And it sounds like new GM Steve Steos is getting impatient with the process because he is talking trade. Let me actually read this Darren Drager report. Big test for the Senators in Edmonton. There's nothing close, but Sens GM Steve Steos has definitely let it be known. He wants to be aggressive on the trade front. The makeup of the team needs to be changed. It won't involve Ottawa's young talent. Steos is currently in a lot of conversations. What's your reaction to that? Well, I... Positive and negative. Like, like the positive is okay. That the, the man has finally uh, been here long enough, looked at it long enough, made some assessments. I think that that's one assessment that's probably coming from Jacques Martin and Daniel Offerton as much as coming from Steos's views of the team is that they've they've decided that this team requires some older quality veteran quote unquote pros. In other words, the same guys that Pierre Dorian identified, sorry, the same type of player that Pierre Dorian always identified that he needed three or four of. And outside of Hamannick and Giroux and maybe Austin Watson, I don't know too many of them that really worked out here. That's the type of player that Steve Stales is apparently looking for. The negative to that is so is every other team. If I'm a team chasing a Stanley Cup, I'm looking for like Tampa when they were went out and got the Barkley Goudros of the world and the Blake Coleman's. That's the type of player that Steve Stales is looking for. So the price, as soon as Ottawa makes an offer, all whatever team it is has to do is call one of the front runners and say, hey, this is the package that I'm looking at for, for this player. I know you'd like to have them. So the price is going to go up and up. So it may be difficult. Well, no, it will be difficult to get the type of players, to make a change to the roster that you want to make and not give up some of the young guys. I, outside of Vladimir Tarasenko, I don't know that you're going to get too much for a Dominic Kubalik or for whoever else it may be, even Eric Brandstrom, whoever it is that you're looking at moving. I can't see them being able to get the type of player they want and have that player with a bring, come in here and bring a positive effect. Yeah. When I go back to Darren Dreger's quote, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in the big picture. He's let it known, Steos, that he wants to be aggressive. The makeup of the team needs to be changed. I don't think you're accomplishing that, to be honest, without moving at least some of the young talent. I mean that from changing the culture standpoint, because I feel like it's been over this rebuild, 
a lot, you know, if you're familiar with the book, Lord of the Flies, where basically kids are running things without adults being present, that's kind of what it felt like. And by adults, I mean veterans, veterans who've been around the block and know what it takes to win. And that might be in the coaching side of things, which would have worked and they didn't get it. And that might be on the player side of things. And Dorian dabbled in that, like you talked about, but it's with the Derek Stepans who are at the end. It's with the Braden Coburns who are at the end. They're, they weren't the right kind of veterans. And like you said, they're not getting those types of veterans without giving up something pretty meaningful. And not only that, they're also not going to be able to afford that under the cap without moving some of those young core players' contracts. So that's that's the part that really is, um, you know, I'm not taking apart Darren Drager's report. I'm sure Steve Steos is talking, but I'm not sure how much Steos is going to be able to do without moving out some of that young core um, and, and what meaningfully you might get back for that. Like there's contracts on this roster. We are talking off the air that I'm starting to be concerned about. Thomas Shabbat's is one. He's still got four more years left at $8 million a year. He's not delivering even close to an $8 million a year rate. And even a guy like Josh Norris, he got some goals recently, but you know, that's a guy that's, he's signed up for seven more years at nearly $8 million. And, uh, and he's not at that level right now. Hasn't been, since he got back from the shoulder injury. That's going to take some time. I get that, but we're getting into a point now where he's played almost half a season, and I'd like to see, I don't know, a little more zest and fire consistently out of his game. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be a challenge for Steve Stales, whatever he's got up his sleeve. I, I get the the reticence to try to, to, to shift, shift the ship out any of the younger guys. Like, I understand the reasoning behind it. You, you, you don't want to have one of these guys go somewhere and turn into a superstar. Like, could Josh Norris play in a number two center on a Stanley Cup winning team? I bet he'd look pretty good with the supporting cast. It's not just the quality of his line mates that matters. It's the quality of the whole group. It's how strong is each collection of five guys that you can put out on the ice. When all five guys are pulling on the rope the same way, executing the same system, following the same structure, everybody looks better. And I think that's part of the problem is that you want these guys to learn and execute better before you can make a call on it, before you can say, yeah, you know, we are paying Thomas Shabbat a lot of money. He's not producing or a Josh Norris or whoever you choose. The problem is they just haven't seen them play within the kind of structure that they need in order to properly evaluate what they have. So they've determined that Travis Hamanick and Claude Giroux are not enough in the veteran presence. It was Elliot Friedman who used the term pro. They're looking for some pros. And I get that. The only two have been Hamannick and Giroux that are still here, that are, that are actually having that effect. I mean, Nick Holden to a certain extent, but he's gone. And that's what they're looking for. And I just, you're right. You probably got to give up somebody young if you want to get somebody really good. But if you can get some veteran pro on an expiring contract who maybe his next contract is going to be a lot cheaper and maybe you can retain him, maybe there is somebody out there. I just haven't, in the list of names I've seen, I haven't seen anybody yet that I think they're capable of getting. Are you surprised, though, in general, that Stalos is even going down this road to be talking about trades at this stage without a full evaluation as the GM of this club with a new coaching staff. He said that when he took over as GM, I really want to see how this team responds under a new coaching staff with Jacques Martin, Daniel Offertson being added to the mix because when Steos and Andlauer arrived to oversee everything, they were almost patient to a fault 
with DJ Smith because they wanted to gather information. They wanted stability. They wanted to see how things looked, not just hear about what's happened in the past. They wanted to see it for themselves, what the dynamic was with the coaching staff as is and the existing group of players. And again, to a fault, they probably waited too long. If the Jacques Martin thing had happened when most fans wanted it to happen, and they're thinking about you know the last four or five years under DJ Smith, not just now, then maybe the season's still recoverable. Maybe they can you know get get Jacques Martin systems in there earlier and get details in there earlier. But uh, no, they they wanted to Steos and Andlauer. They wanted to take their time and make sure they made the right decision. And now you talked about ten to fifteen games before things change. And now they're talking about trades already. Uh, based on the MO of this new group, this new regime, are you a little surprised that we're even having this conversation about trades well, this early in the game? It's weird that we're we're complaining that on one hand that they took too long in this assessment. And they're, you know, they were so patient. Did they have to be that patient? And yet, on the other hand, we're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you really need to make changes now? I, I think it's... If, he, if Steos, if the group can be successful in finding what they want to find at the price that it let's face it that's what that guy is really worth like the type of player they're looking for isn't worth a Josh Norris isn't worth a Thomas Shabbat or even a Drake Batherson or a Matthew Joseph for that matter so if mm-hmm. they can find what they're looking for for a second or a third or a I don't know a couple of guys from Belleville if they can do that then then they're fine I, I think they have taken their time they have assessed and they've determined that this is one thing that we can fix now Yes, there are issues with 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 uh, structure, with doing the right things, with puck protection, with with how to play the game the right way. That we can fix with coaching. But this is an issue where we're we're lacking some veteran core, or not core, I guess, bottom six uh, type guys with with veteran presence and leadership and pros, pros. Yeah, that's something you can fix right away. Hopefully, if you can find the right thing, and it should have an effect. Right. I, I think that's it can be done. I don't think they've waited too long. No. And I don't think they're doing it too fast either. I think I think they're just going to have a problem finding it and getting it at the price that works for them. Yeah, I'm not talking about my complaints about it. I see it. It feels inconsistent. You know, that's yeah, all um, I get that, too. If, if, yeah. Yeah. If if uh, if Steos wants to go and, and make a deal and he thinks that's going to help, then uh, have at it. And it's interesting, the timing of the Dreger report, right, because be, they're in Edmonton. Steve Steos played forever in Edmonton, not not forever, but probably about eight years as a defenseman. And of course, the last year before he arrived in Ottawa, he was in their front office. So he's got connections galore. So I couldn't help with that report coming out and the Sens actually being in Edmonton, um, having a look at the Oiler roster and thinking about guys that might fit the bill. And there's Connor Brown. You know, there's a guy that uh, he hasn't scored a goal since he left Ottawa. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he goes to Washington. He gets hurt right away. Only played four games. He's played 28 games in Edmonton. He's got zero goals and three assists for the Oilers in, in 28 games there. But, you know, I, I looked at a guy last night watching the game. I said, he looks like he gets still skate. And uh, it got me to thinking. And, and, and when we talk about the veteran guys who've come through this organization during the rebuild, I mean, Connor Brown's near the top of the list of guys that play the game the right way that had some effect on the team and I was surprised when they moved him out to Washington for a second rounder. Um, that might be a, that might be a guy if you're going to maybe do business with Edmonton or, or look for that type of veteran player, that might be a good buy low candidate because uh, uh, Oiler fans, uh, well, they've had enough of looking at Connor Brown, to be honest. 
Yeah, he he is a guy. Yes, that's the type of player, and and the fact that he's been here, he knows the situation. Uh, I gotta believe that everything's in better off ice stuff here is way better than it was when he was here before. So that would appeal to him to come here. Uh, yeah, he's step and and. Would he help improve the PK that is 31st, or are they now dropped to 32nd in the NHL? Yeah, they were Connor 32nd Brown. entering. Okay, so there you go. Connor Brown's going to help your PK, too. Will he score a goal? Probably not. But he'll settle in to where well, you you always thought he could play in your top six. I always thought he was more of a bottom six. So, But he, I, now I think we can agree he'd be a bottom six guy. He'd play on your third line, maybe your fourth line. He'd kill penalties, but he'd be a presence in the room and a leader a respected guy and a pro's pro. Yes, Connor Brown's the type of guy. And would he would he seriously really cost anything more than a fourth? <laughs> like like there's no way on earth somebody look at his stats, look at his time on ice, look at his contribution to that Edmonton team. If they want anything like a second or a third, like forget it. You're on drugs. Yeah. We, you're not getting that for Connor Brown right now. Plus his salary. Yeah. He's carrying a hefty salary for for his situation, so I yeah he'd he'd be a great answer, Steve. I agree with you on that one. That'd be pretty good. Yeah the 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 deceiving thing about his salary was that he makes I think he's like three or four million dollars a year, but I think three million of that roughly was paid out in a bonus if he hit the ten games mark. When yeah. he was around the ten game mark this year, a lot of Oilers fans were like, "Oh my God, don't let him play that tenth game because he's not really having much of an effect." I mean, when the season started, everybody's like. Connor Brown, Connor McDavid, junior legends together in Erie. That magic's going to happen again, and it didn't. It really, really didn't. He was on the fourth line again last night. He was actually noticeable a couple of times. He had an assist in the game, um, so he's not that expensive. My point is the bonus has been paid now, and maybe that's a reason Edmonton won't deal him because he's so cheap now. Um, well, you're now measure you're now measuring him through the lens of a seven hundred thousand dollar a year player now that the bonus has been paid. So maybe they say, well, we paid the bonus. We want. We want this guy along for the playoff race. Um, and it's interesting on the playoff front. This gives you a sense of what an absolute miracle it would be for the Sens to climb back in since their coaching change in Edmonton again, 17 and six. And that team is still not in the playoffs right now. They're right there. At the, they're right there at the precipice. But that even that run that they've gone on since the coaching change has not been enough to get Edmonton back in the playoff race. Um officially they're there obviously but they're gonna have to continue to be awesome from here on out so when you look at the sends yeesh that's uh that's not gonna happen <laughs> there's no point even talking about the miracle because it's uh it is what it is but one of the things they're doing right now and i like this is that Jacques martez putting lines into a blender in the edmonton game for almost half the game you had parker kelly who was probably the best forward in edmonton for the for the sends you know play in front of his hometown he's from camrose about an hour away He's, he's paired with Brady Kachuk and Ridley Gregg. He started the game with Ridley Gregg, but interesting because I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen Brady Kachuk play with two guys that you regard in the bottom six, but I like that Jacques Martez starting to experiment. This is what this whole thing is about between now and the end of the season, figuring things out, and you're not going to figure things out by doing the same old thing game in, game out. Well, it's a direct 180-degree turn from from DJ Smith. I mean, DJ Smith tinkered occasionally, but only within the top six. He'd shift yeah. somebody, uh, shift uh, Norris and Stutzla once in a while. The first change Jacques made here was he moved, he switched Giroux and Batherson. So Batherson was reunited with Norris and Kachuk, and Giroux was playing with uh, Stutzla and Tarasenko. But then as this game went on last night, um, 
it was obvious. This is a veteran NHL coach. He looks at it, says, you know what? The two guys who are playing best here tonight are probably Parker Kelly and Ridley Gregg. And well, let's give him Brady. They dropped Kubalik out of there. And because there was only 11 forwards dressed, you could still play Brady on shifts in, in shifts with, with Norris and with Patterson, but you could also have them out there playing with, with, uh, Greg and, and Kelly. And, and Greg and Kelly were the two most effective, the best players on the ice last night at forward for the Ottawa Senators. And it only made sense. All right. Let's play the best three together and see what we can get out of it. And, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's, to me, it's only normal, natural coaching, right? It's just the reason you go with 11 instead of 12 is I can give some of the high end guys a little more ice time, a little more shifts here and there. And he took advantage of that. And in a way they go, whether it was Jacques or Alfie or whoever came up with the idea, it made perfect sense. And, and I thought it was effective, a really nice line. I like watching them play. Yeah, they end up getting a goal to get to within a, a goal. They're down 2 nothing, and Kelly scores late, and Kachuk crashes the front of the net, and, and Kelly deposits the rebound. And, uh, yeah, Kelly had chances all night. He's got three goals in his last six games, and, uh, like I say, getting scoring chances, in, even in the penalty kill. Like, he broke up at least one play. There was two two cross-ice pass, uh, passes on uh, on the Oiler power play that he intercepted. One for sure, I think, was going to prevent a goal. But he was really good all night. Again, he, he was getting third-line action in recent games anyway. And again, getting bumped up to play with Kachuk and Ridley Gregg. I think that's uh, that Jacques Martin, like you just said, being coached. That's that's a great point because uh, too often, DJ Smith would just keep rolling it out there, rolling it out there. And if there was any line changes, it would be made at practice. And then they'd go to the next game. You had three guys that were playing well. And it paid off for them with uh, with the Kelly goal to cut the lead to 2-1. And uh, so, I, so I think that's a very good thing. And, and with Parker Kelly, um, I don't think a championship team is going to want to uh, have him that high up in the lineup, but it's nice right. to see the kids' confidence get going because I think a lot of Sens fans had completely given up on that guy as a guy that, and I've had my moments where I'm like, if Kelly's on this team or not, I don't care. You know, if he goes down to Belleville, if he plays in Ottawa on the fourth line, whatever. Um, I just haven't seen him as an impact player too often, but Boy, since Jacques Martin took over, he's been uh, really, really effective. And it's one of those things where we said, we talked about this, when when Jacques first came in, give it the 10 to 15 games, and within that time frame, you will see certain players you maybe hadn't thought of that bring a little more, that Jacques's going to, their minutes are going to go up, and other guys, maybe their minutes are going to go down based on how they perform and how they play within the structure and the system that Jacques wants. I think that if one thing it can we can take out of this whole 11 and 7 or Branstrom playing forward, I think is that there's not a lot of confidence in anybody to be playing with uh, in the third line or even in the fourth line. There's one guy short. There's one guy short, it seems. And that one guy short is Matthew Joseph, maybe? Like, to go with 11 or to play the game before or two games before with Branstrom at forward, that tells you that really on most nights, he only really likes 11 forwards and that uh, that 12th guy is interchangeable. So Matthew Joseph slips back in and there's your 12 guys. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew Joseph, he was running the Twitter account for the Sens during the game in Edmonton. Fairly entertaining stuff. Um, somebody asked him, what's it like being a Stanley Cup champion? He says, great but it'll be even better when it happens here in Ottawa. So uh, that endeared him to Sens fans. But his return to the lineup will endear him to Sens fans even more. And as we talk about potential trades and, 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 and bringing guys in to you know, insert in the roster, I mean, you're, you're basically getting Matthew Joseph back very shortly, and you're getting Shane Pinto back. 
On Wednesday of this week, Pinto returns to the club, and then on the 21st against the Flyers, he's eligible to return to the lineup. That's that's two pretty good forwards to be adding to your 12-man mix and, and, and really can change a lot of the dynamic of this team right now. Somebody's got to go, though. At least yeah. uh, we've said all along. And for now, Pinto, I believe, will come in at less than a million, just because that's the way it's going to have to be. But just to bring Joseph back, somebody's got to go. So right now, that that's uh, Smichael or that's uh, uh, Crookshank. Crookshank, yeah, one or both of them has to go. Um, but hey, how, how's a third line look with one of Pinto or Greg playing the wing? Uh, and the other two being the, uh, Joseph. So Pinto, Greg, and Joseph in your third line. And Kelly, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, he'll look real just fine on the fourth line with Kastelik and McEwen or whoever else is there. Uh, the, your third line gets a serious bump when both of these guys, Pinto and Joseph, are back in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. Everything looks slotted uh, more like you'd expect, uh, you know, a playoff caliber team to have, and uh, and I, and, I, and again, I like that Jacques Martin is playing around with things, and this will give him more things to play around with, more, uh, more, diff- you know, di- just di- different matchups. But I mean, I think about that, you know, that Kachuk, Greg, and Kelly line was so unique, but it was great in the in that the now you now all of a sudden you put together a line that's hard to play against, you know, as opposed to scattering your rambunctious guys throughout the lineup. There you had three guys that are going to finish their checks every single time. And that, I think, is one of the flaws of this roster. There's too many guys who are easy to play against. So maybe if you can, you know, concentrate it on one line. I just I, I just like the notion of the coaching that's going on, like you talked about earlier in the show. So it's well, all actually, good. Actually, as you say that, I automatically think of the New York Islanders with uh, Clutterbuck and Martin and uh, the third guy. <laughs> third guy. Sorry. Right. Was it Casey Sezikis? Yeah, it is Casey Sezikis. Cal Clutterbuck is apparently a guy that's available. Maybe it's a Cal Clutterbuck comes in here. There you go. So he brings that. He's not a skill guy like you all, like you're, you're, you're to your point that you've made many times. You have too many the same type of player. Well, there you go. He's basically yeah. Parker Kelly, but older, experienced, pros, pro, leadership, all that stuff. If Cal Clutterbuck's available, I'd, I'd rather have Cal Clutterbuck than Connor Brown, to be honest with you. Me too, no doubt, because I like the uh, – he's all those things you talked about rightly, but uh, he's nasty on top yeah. of that. I like that. <laughs> little nasty's always good, because I don't think that uh, when the Sens are taking on the Edmonton Oilers that uh, Connor McDavid and – and Leon Dreisaitl were in the dressing room going, oh, we're playing the Senators tonight, Leon. Oh, my God. I don't think, so. I don't think that's there. So anyway, that's, um, that's something to think about. We'll take a time out on the program. Speaking of nasty, former Senator Michael Delzato, who was here kind of for a cup of coffee, uh, had some bad things to say about the Ottawa Senators as an organization when he was here a couple of years ago. Not the team now, but a couple of years ago, although he did comment on the team now. We'll also talk about... Uh, Let's see, uh, we can get into Brady Kachuk uh, and um, the interesting post-game interview he had to go through after the game in Edmonton. And Connor Bedard out with a broken jaw. We'll get to that and more after these words. Attention truck enthusiasts, are you ready to experience the power, performance, and innovation of a legendary vehicle? Look no further than the 2023 Ford F-150 at Jim K. Ford. We have incredible deals and financing options tailored just for you. Visit Jim K. Ford today and experience the thrill of driving the best-selling truck in Canada, the 2023 Ford F-150. Visit us at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans or at jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! 
Hey, if you like a nice drink with family and friends, I'd like to recommend a nice bottle of Beaver's Dram Premium Canadian Whiskey. Imagine a nice whiskey with less bite and more flavor that's soft and warm with subtle flavors of orange and dark chocolate and a hint of sherry in there, too. Pick up a bottle of Seven Seals Beaver's Dram Premium Canadian Whiskey today at the LCBO or order online at DunrobinDistilleries.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Michael Delzato in the news. By the way, I wanted to mention about five-game road trips being the kryptonite, and, and this goes back just a couple of years. So the, the most recent five-game road trips, they've gone 1-4, 1-4, 0-5 and and earlier this year, and now they're on an 0-3 run. Five-game road trips do not agree with this team. Not since they have a run. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Michael Delzato in the news. He is now retired from the NHL. Uh, he would be a. I think we should preface this whole conversation with Delzato could not have been happy with over. You know, he's in the NHL for well over a decade consecutively, and then when he was in Ottawa, uh, he got sent down to the minors. So he played as many games in Belleville as he did in Ottawa two seasons ago. He couldn't have been happy with that. Though Pierre Dorian's assessment of the player was vindicated because last season he was with Anaheim's organization and I think Florida's. And they never brought him up. And then he retired. So that's where his game was. But Pierre Dorian's initial assessment was a little off <laughs> to sign him in the first place. Right. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. True. But. True. But yeah, putting him down in the minors wasn't the great insult that I think Delzato uh, thought at the time. But <laughs> anyway, he's uh, he he basically was uh, he was on um, Frank Saravalli's podcast, Daily Face Off Live this week. And he was asked, based on that, just on that sample size with the Senators, he played about 28 games, I think, something like that, uh, two seasons ago. And they asked him, based on your time in Ottawa, um, uh, they asked about, was there really the need for this culture change that has happened now uh, here in Ottawa? And he goes, how much time do you have? I couldn't, and he, say, he laughed a bit, I couldn't believe that that was an NHL organization when I was there, just from top to bottom, how players were treated, how the staff was treated. You know, I tell this story all the time. I was spoiled. My first year, I was in New York playing for the Rangers, and it was first-class treatment every single day. Anything that a player could think of had already been thought of numerous times and had been perfected by that organization. So just even the food we'd have after games, uh, home games, a fantastic spread of food, which I think maybe two guys would go there, actually, and, and make the most of it because you're actually in New York City. You're going out after dinner or for dinner. But in Ottawa, he says, I remember after my first game, we had boxed quesadillas in a warming drawer. So just little things like that. They didn't give their players the best opportunities to succeed every night. And uh, a thought from you on Del Zotto's comments there. Um, it certainly is making you know the new regime under Michael Andlauer. The, the vow has always been, since he got here, Andlauer, to be best in class. It obviously wasn't <laughs> best in class two years ago. <laughs> well, from, from what I'm reading there it won't be difficult to make improvements, right? right. <laughs> uh, the, the irony is that there was a time uh, back when Jacques was coaching the first time around when many players spoke glowingly about the auto organization and how players were looked after and everything was taken care of and off ice was super and the, the setting was wonderful. So things slipped in the Melnick era and seeped into the Andlauer era, I guess. Well, actually, Delzato wasn't even here in the Andlauer era, so he has no idea how things are now, nor do we. But I, I 
I can't imagine a boxed quesadilla. That's uh, that's pretty sad. But but yeah, I'm not surprised by it at all. I mean, are you that the guy running the show wasn't exactly uh, throwing money around to, to make the players feel good about it? So I, I'm not surprised by it at all. No, nor am I. Uh, and quesadillas, like when you put them in a drawer like that, they get all kind of steamy. And so the crispness on the outside of the, sh- the tortilla gets all mushy and stuff. It's just uh, not a good, not a good look for sure. But he's uh, a bit he of a con- column. Yeah, I think I think he I think he's not happy with the organization for the way because I think he probably looks at that lineup and they were going badly two years ago as well. Not that they're going great now, but, you know, he probably as a guy who'd been in the league for over 10 years, watching himself lose ice time to guys who were just, you know, not that good. That couldn't have been easy for a veteran. Um, But he did have a comment on the state of the team now as an outsider. Like he's living down in uh, in Miami now, but he said, uh, he said, Delzada believes the Sens may be missing their window of opportunity where they were expected to make the next step, which sends chills down Sens fans' spines, missing their window of opportunity. Because think about it, and I'll get back to this in a sec. Uh, Eugene Melnick, he was talking about 2021 as being the opening of the window of unparalleled success, right? That was around 2021. And now we're, we've just uh, you know changed the calendar over to 2024 and they don't look close right now. So that's that's a fair statement that I think a lot of fans are also worried about, that they're missing their window of opportunity here. Like, you know, you got Brady Kachuk contracts. I think only got like five years left on it. Anyway, uh, windows aside, he said they may have regressed. Is bringing in a 71-year-old coach the answer or a GM with no experience? I don't know what the answers are, but something has to give at some point here, and if things don't change, do you change the personnel? So. Michael Delzato has a lot to say about the Ottawa Senators in that interview. I don't have a problem with the age of the coach because I think that what he brings is what's needed. I don't know that he's here long-term. I mean, we've talked about this. I, I don't think he's here uh, beyond this year unless, uh, you know, he has some sort of success and things sink in that maybe he sticks around. Uh, I think he wants I, to. Yeah, I, of course he does. He's a professional hockey coach. He wants to coach. Like, he wants to stay. Um, whose choice it's going to come down to, I don't know. But now that we know that Steos is the GM and not somebody else, then maybe he does stay. Who knows? Um, I do agree with the comment on Steos. We, I've said this all along. We, we, anytime you and I have ever spoken on this podcast about needing a coaching change or needing a GM change, we've always said highest on our list is somebody with experience. We both wanted a coach with experience and we wanted a GM with experience. And unfortunately, we're not getting that with Steve Steos. Let's let the guy uh, have a month or two and make a change or two and a trade here or there and and see and, and judge from there, I guess, because we really have no other choice. Uh, it's done. And I think that if it's not him, uh, I speculated that maybe he just gave himself full-time GM title until the end of the season or until they believe that Ryan Bonus is ready. Well, that's another guy with no experience as a GM. So I agree with Michael Delzato on that one point. And I'm, I'm, I'm not ex- – I'm not – I don't have a problem with Steve Stales, the man. Uh, I have a problem with Steve Stales, the resume. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, there's been lots of rookies who've come in and been excellent GMs. And so, you know, Joe Sackick didn't take very long before the Colorado Avalanche were a very good team. Um, but yeah, yeah, when you're a rookie, you just don't know what you have until uh, they've had a chance to perform. So to close it out today. Boy, the NHL lost a lot of young skill on the in the Friday night game between New Jersey and Chicago. 
First of all, you've got Connor Bedard going out with a broken jaw. He's going to be gone at least two months with that. And uh, Jack Hughes got hurt in the very same game, an awkward fall, lower body injury. They're not sure how long he's going to be out. But the Bedard thing is, is what everybody's talking about because he's leading the NHL rookie scoring race with 33 points. So skilled, so fun to watch. He was, on the other hand, an MVP candidate, so that's a big deal too, but we don't know exactly what his status is. What did you think of the hit? For those who missed it, so you got Connor Bedard coming down Main Street, and he beats the first um, Devils player at the blue line, and then you've got Brendan Smith, a defenseman, uh, waiting for him uh, with a big old check. It looked like, I don't know, Connor Bedard was kind of leaning forward, so I don't know if Smith could avoid it, but uh collision was made, and he took the brunt of it in the face and suffered a broken jaw. First of all, what do you think of the hit? I didn't have a problem with the hit at all. That's They're, they're standing up at the blue line. That's the second level of your defense. Uh, Bedard made a little inside out on the first guy and was going to the right of that guy while Smith was coming from his left, and he was reaching for the puck, so he's probably his his face, his shoulders were down a little lower than normally as he reached for the puck, and and, and he took a – I thought it was a clean hit, didn't have any problem with the hit at all. Yep. It reminded me of the way Niedermeyer and Scott Stevens kind of went about their business. I don't know if they had that as a game plan, but you'd always have – it seemed like Niedermeyer would steer the guy to the middle, and then Stevens was waiting. The big Eric Lindros hit, for example. Mm-hmm. The difference is Smith, I don't think, lit up Bedard the way that Stevens would Not back in the day. Yeah, so I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. Some people did, but uh, I don't know. It, it looked like a complete hockey play to me. And uh, Jack is going though. down. What's that? Well, Connor could finally go home and move his damn car so Maddie can get out of the driveway. Like, come on. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of this. We like, need to move the car. I have to get out. I'm late. I'm at practice in Chicago. Chicago? And how does she not know that he's in Chicago? Well, I, I was mean, just going to say pra- that. I'm at practice in Chicago. Chicago? Chicago? Like, just go <laughs> home and move the car for her, will you please? It's the new K- Katy Perry uh, skip the dishes ad. It's just, they play it <laughs> so frequently. And yeah, Maddie's reaction. Chicago? I had no idea. Is that where you practice? Who knew? Chicago? Let's close it out with this. The Sens next action will be against the uh, the Calgary Flames coming up on Tuesday, January the 9th. After that, they close out the road trip in Buffalo on Thursday. And so ends another five-game uh, I, don't know, I was going to say losing streak, just at a force of habit. So ends another five-game road trip, and they're back home for the next game uh, this coming Saturday against the San Jose Sharks. So we'll call it quits there, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy uh, enjoy your weekend. Um, enjoy the next few days until our next episode, until we talk to you again. Don't forget that our website is SendsNationHockey.com. I invite you to check out the Hockey News Ottawa page. I'm the site editor there. Got lots of cool stuff there. Please check it out thn.com slash ottawa and greg enjoy your day we'll talk to you next time thanks steve and happy 89th birthday to elvis presley on monday wherever you may be okay oh nice all shook up talk to you next time (laughs) thanks for being with us on the jim k ford sends nation podcast if you're enjoying the show please subscribe and review share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on patreon Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.